You're listening to. Welcome to Asians in Baseball with your hosts, Kim Cooper, Naomi Ko, and Scott Okamoto. This podcast celebrates Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander American baseball players in the MLB. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Asians in Baseball, the premier podcast, if I might say, about Asians in Baseball. Um, I'm Kim, and uh, joined here again today with Naomi and Scott. How are we feeling about this fabulous week? We're feeling mostly good. Mostly good, all right. It was a good week for us, but a bad week for baseball and humanity in general. Yes, and we will get... yeah. yeah, we'll get we will get to that. Um, but first, we want to talk about uh, the good stuff that happened. And my goodness, this week it was triple city for our position players. Three guys hit triples this week. Um, it was nuts. First, uh, well, this isn't this isn't necessarily in order, I guess. Uh, but Rob Refsnyder uh, with the Red Sox, he hit a two run triple against the Yankees last Wednesday, the fourteenth. Um, in that game, he went two for three. With two runs scored, two RBI, and a stolen base, and he had a walk, um, and uh, he he only got to play because Yoshida was uh, having a rest day. Uh, so it's sad that they won't play them all, but great, great for him. The they only did that like in the outfield. Yeah, it was a, it was a great game when he w- when there were three Asians playing for the Red Sox. Do you guys remember that? It More was when of that, o- yeah. It was when Otani was pitching for the Angels, and the Angels were at um, Fenway, and he saw them all. But then the rain, and then it was just like nature, society. Come on, guys. We need to bring it back. It was a glorious day, those three. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, but even though they couldn't play in the same game, so Masataka Yoshida, he had... Uh, Wednesday off um, he has been you know needing a little bit of extra rest uh, the Red Sox had had when they signed him they had met with the Oryx Buffaloes his, his J- Japanese team um, who kind of told him like here are some signs that that Yoshida started to get worn out and so they started recognizing those signs he wasn't hitting well coming into uh, uh, in last week um, so uh, he's still adjusting. You know, there's a lot of differences between the MPB and, and Major League Baseball. So anyway, they, they gave him the day off on Wednesday, which is when Rob hit his triple. They had a scheduled off day on Thursday. Friday, Yoshida comes back, well-rested, four for four, run scored, three RBI. And then Sunday, he triples. He triples too. Oh my gosh, it what's worked. in the water in Boston? He triples, and then he comes home on a balk. And Scott, I was wondering if you could explain to all of us what a balk is and how it's possible to score on a balk. Sure. First of all, I have to say I think it's triple sec in the water. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> dad, dad, Very dad nice. Joke. Happy Father's Day, Scott. Yeah, That's thanks. a good dad yeah. joke. Sorry. Uh, a balk. <laughs> so basically a balk means – now it's really um, – it's complicated, but basically the pitcher starts his windup and can't stop it because that would deceive any runners on base and you could easily pick someone off if you like went into your windup and halfway through, you know, turned around and threw to a base. So the rule is once you start your windup, um, you have to come set, which means hand in and glove together at some point, 
um, however you come set. Most like starters will come set facing forward. A lot of relievers pitch out of the stretch, which means they don't do the full windup, so they start facing sideways. Um, so, however, and that's the complicated part because every pitcher has a different kind of windup and a different motion. You know, if you watch Kenley Jansen, it looks like he balks like ten times before he's, he throws because <laughs> he true. rocks back and forth and back and forth, and it's like. Now, because that's established and the umpires know that, they don't call the balk. But if if you don't do do that normally and you start rocking back and forth, you're going to get called a, on a balk. And basically that means any runners on base get to advance one base. And so um, it's really tricky with left-handers who have that move to first base where it looks like they start their windup, but they don't step toward home. Uh, their foot has to be off the rubber. And so... Um, yeah, it's one. It's it's kind of like the the check swing, right? It. I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it varies by umpire, and you see a lot of arguments, and a lot of people get kicked out arguing about these things. And depending on how you look at it, it's either like a great thing about baseball, and that you know it's very human, and um, it varies umpire to umpire and player to player. Um, if you're a, if you're a perfectionist and a scientist, it probably drives you crazy because one day it could be called a balk and the next day it may not. Um, you can go on YouTube and there's all these these videos of like, oh, this was totally a balk. These are all the balks. These are here's ten thousand balks that didn't get called and and here's <laughs> ten thousand balks that got called that totally weren't balks. And um, it's one of those things too. Like uh, if you've been a baseball fan a long enough time, if you're a fan, you hear people in the stands going, "That's a balk. That's a balk." And then when you ask them, you know, they don't really know what a balk is. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's CRT. And well, what is CRT? I don't know, but it's bad. Right. They you don't know. <laughs> you can't, can't say what it can't define what it is, but yeah. they know that they saw it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's interesting about this video of Yoshida scoring on the balk. It's like truly as suit, like the, the pitcher starts pitching. And to me, it didn't look like a balk. And I'm obviously not a balk expert, but like, uh, immediately the umpire's like that's a balk that's a balk that's a balk like calls it yeah. right away yeah they're very um, demonstrative because most people don't aren't looking at that you know and so uh-huh. you'll see the umpire waving his hands in the air and pointing sometimes the players yeah. will try to call it too the batter will point out or the base runner will point or the base coach is usually the one who's yelling um that's a balk yeah man there's yeah, all kinds there's of this ru- all co- Go ahead, There's go ahead. this like really um, popular video on John Boy where they're trying to determine if, if it's a balk or not because it caused, of course, like controversy in a, in a fight. I think it was a pitcher from the Marlins who got called out on the balk and he did this poll and this test if people could even figure out if it was a balk or not and no one got it. It was 50-50. No one could figure out if it was a balk. What was if the, uh If the umpire calls it, it's a balk. <laughs> Right, because it's also like, oh, they can they can step off the rubber, but they can't step off the rubber after a certain point because then it's a balk. It's very confusing. Yeah, if they start just, their motion is, at all, they can't step off. Yeah, yeah, very confusing. But there's a lot of different ways that you can that you can score. Uh, balk is balk is one of them. Another strange way that you can score, we saw uh, an example of by our guy Isaiah Kiner Falefa this yeah. week. This man stole home against the Mets he stole home hell yeah that was nuts so rare 
very dangerous and, and risky, but one of the most exciting plays in baseball. Reminds me of like Jackie Robinson, um, Ricky Henderson. So Yeah, they said that the last time home was stolen by a Yankee was D.D. Gregorius in 2016. And interesting fact about that is it was against the Orioles, who were also managed at the time by Buck Showalter, who is the current sh- manager of the Mets, who Isaiah Kainer-Falefa stole home off of. Yeah, and Kainer-Falefa was a real steal of home because you can steal a lot of times you steal home because you know there's runners on uh, like on first and third, and the runner on first breaks, and then they throw to second, and the guy on third breaks and steals home. So it's not like a straight steal, like. This is literally the pitcher starts his wind up or even before and you take off for home and you got you better hope and pray the batter knows um, and doesn't swing and take your head off. Um, a lot has to happen for that kind of classic steal of home. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah, I, I wondered. Um, I wondered. So so in in the interview with IKF afterward, he was saying that like. Usually, so he, so in the video, you can see he's like halfway to home. Yeah. Like he, he gets very, very far off the third base bag, but he was saying in the interview, like the third baseman wasn't looking at him at all. Yeah. The pitcher wasn't looking at him at all. And I have to wonder if like some of that is because, you know, IKF is somebody that has been a little bit, uh, uh, I don't want to say underrated is not quite the right word, but like, uh, someone who people are not expecting to, to make big moves like that. Um, I'm just curious what what you guys what you guys think. You know, it's not it's not uh, it's not Judge, right? They're going to keep eyes on Judge all the time. They're going to keep eyes on Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's because you know, in the past few years, IKF has been really uh, struggling. And uh, before, when he was a shortstop and he was a Gold Glove shortstop, I think they would have probably paid a lot more attention to him because shortstops are very fast and very athletic, and they're flying through the air all the time. And I think ever since IKF, especially last year, was in that pretty big slump with the Yankees, people, you know, people are probably thinking, "Oh, it's going to be Volpe, right? Like Volpe's so fast. Like we got to right. keep our eyes on him, especially because for a while earlier in the season, he was on that tear, stealing so many bases." Oh, IKF. Oh, he's in the outfield now. Oh, he's not really a power hitter. Oh, he's older, like Rizzo and and Donaldson and John Carlos Stanton. You know, he's not really known for his speed anymore. And he he actually used that to his advantage because, like we like we match, mentioned a few episodes ago about how he has really you know started working out a lot. He got he bulked up. He was just like, I'm going to change my stance. I'm going to change the, the way that I play this game. He probably was also training to run really fast as well. And I mean, like all baseball players, I, I hope they're training to to run faster. It makes the game more exciting. But I mean, and this actually, I think they kind of underestimated him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was necessarily invisible, but he was definitely underestimated. And people kind of forgot they forgot that he can be a real threat. Yeah. And he only had to run like 45 feet. Yeah. He's truly halfway. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Watch the video. We'll link it. He's halfway to home. And I'm like, nobody's watching this man. Yeah. And, and like I said, nobody steals home. Like there's probably one or two. Like I don't remember the last time a straight steal of home happened. Like I said, it's usually the result of another base runner stealing and you just sneak home. Um, you still get credit as a stolen base of home. But that was the Jackie Robinson stolen base. And and 
yeah, they're not paying attention to your point, but they wouldn't even be a pe- paying attention to anyone. Shohei Otani, uh, Babe Ruth. Um, <laughs> you just don't ever expect someone to steal, make a straight steal of home. Because right. think about it, like regular stolen base, you're on first, you steal second. The pitcher pitches, the catcher throws the second, but this is literally racing the windup of the pitcher as he's winding up and throwing the ball straight to home. So to Kim's point, yeah, you got to have a huge lead and and no one is watching because um yeah, it's so it's so hard. And then usually it happens when there's a left-handed batter up cuz the left-handed batter is looking up the third baseline already and can see it happening. Um but it does happen, but if it's a sign or I don't know because if you're right-handed, it's the the runner's coming from behind you. And that's what's scary. Um, I can't remember who, I mean, who it, was at bat, but I I don't remember either. But it is very scary to watch at the plate because because it's like right like after after the pitcher releases the ball, that's when someone can steal, right? Oh, you can or steal at any point. No, you can steal at any point. So oh, at any point. Yeah. Okay, so you'll yeah, watch so, him. He's creeping down the line as the pitcher's coming set and just sort of sneaking down, seeing if anybody's watching him. No one's watching him, so he keeps going because he's got it in his head. I'm stealing home. Right, and he gets very lucky because the ball was kind of offline. It didn't go right to the catcher because then the catcher could have just leaned forward and and got him. All those things have to to come together. Yeah, Yeah. and to your point, Scott, um, I remember back in 2021, Shohei Otani actually stole home too. But the way that he stole home was the way that you described. It wasn't a true stealing home because a runner was stealing, the first base runner was stealing second, and he sneaked in to steal home. So what Mm -hmm. really um, Isaiah Kiner-Falafa did is truly unique in that something that only, only so many people in the history of baseball can actually achieve. Look at it used that. to be more common, uh, like back oh. in the day, like Jackie Robinson did it. It was rare then, but um, there's the famous World Series where he stole home, and to his dying day, <laughs> um, uh, what's his face, the catcher of the Yankees was like he was out, but I I don't know he was he looked he looked it was close it was uh, yeah Yogi Yogi Berra steal that's what matters yep. ultimately. And Exciting so was stuff. IKFs. Yeah, it was very, very, very cool to see. Um, also very exciting news. Um, Travis Darno, uh, who has been back now from the IL for a few weeks, uh, he hit his 100th career home run, which was hey. very exciting. And a it came blast. in a two-home a two run game, yes. And, and home run number 100 was 474 feet. In Colorado? It was against the Rockies, was it in Colorado? That sounds like a Coors Field home run. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, not no no nothing against Darno. He's a strong guy. But 474 is is pretty unheard of these days. No, this was uh yes. Uh no. No. Uh, wow, he what just was the date? He just got it. What was the date of this? We'll just cut all this out where I'm just muttering. Um, no, this was in this was in Atlanta. Oh, this hey. was in Atlanta that he did this at Ooh, home. Wow, even better, man. Just you know, whenever it. he got, <laughs> ever since he had that concussion, he has come back to becoming a dominant batter. Hmm. I mean, something maybe clicked it's because, like, he's not uh, he's not catching right. Like, oh, so that's true. Yeah, uh, right. He's just DHing right now. I think. Um, I'll have to go back and check, but I think he's just DHing right now, and so yeah. maybe you know that that gives him 
allows him to, you know, focus most of his energy on hitting. That's wow. true because being a catcher is just the worst position on a player's pretty much. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> He's like I have very my knees again. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, so very very exciting and to go back just a little bit uh, to what we were talking about before triple city someone else hit a triple this week and it had to be steven kwan of course um not not a guy again we've talked about this before not a guy that like is typically like hitting for power not a guy who's like trying like you know getting all the way out there but he did get one to the corner um First on this on Saturday, he went four for five with a run scored and a stolen base, but the Guardians still lost against the D backs. D backs are on a tear. And then Sunday he hit a two run triple and the Guardians hit three triples in that game. Yeah. He had four runs scored, three RBI. Cleveland won that one. We're gonna say that's all because of Steven. It is all because yeah. of Steven. It's that's always right. all because of Steven. Everything I attribute to the Guardian success is because of Stephen Kwan. He came on to, came onto that team the year the Guardians changed their name to a better name. That is true. It's all because of that him. Is true. It's the the world has synced for Stephen Kwan and the Guardians. And if he ever gets traded to another team, he will take that success with him. Because the success is in him. That's right, in him. That's a beautiful line. You sound like a wonderful coach. We'll put that like in a, Asians in the outfield. Sounds like an after-school special. <laughs> to a theater. I was going to say, I feel like I sound like a Gatorade commercial. Like, the success is in you, Gatorade. <laughs> but maybe, hey, okay. listen, if if there's any big Hollywood producers out there that want to give us a bunch of money to film this movie, we'll write it. We'll write it. We'll put in such gems as the success is in you wow the movie writes itself it really does and you can say that across from Stephen kwan as you guys play chess see wow oh my god how cinematic is it the movie is is writing itself and it's employing the three of us also very important very important Um, on on the topic of of a storybook ending um well this was them this isn't a storybook ending but it was very good for tommy edmund um Tommy Edmond uh, on the 14th, he hit a grand slam against the Giants. It was a 2-2 count with two outs. Tommy comes up to the plate, grand slam, ties the game. I say it wasn't a storybook ending because then the Cardinals did lose still. Uh, but but it was good for Tommy. We got to be happy for him. Yes. A rough bright spot in a, yes. in, a, in a rough year. Yep. Yeah. Naomi yeah. smiling. That, yeah. that brings a smile to Naomi's face. The Cardinals <laughs> are not doing well. I wish I, I mean, it's as long as smile. our boys, as long as our boys, Tommy and Lars Newbar are doing well, that's all what matters to me. But in speaking right. about Lars Newbar, someone is back from the IL. The uh, McCormick Spice Pepper Grinder did it for him. Probably that's uh, right. propelled him the back. The healing power into, of Pepper. Uh, that's yes. right. It worked. We're also available to write commercials too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, yeah, we could the, do anything. The healing power of Pepper is the reason why Lars Newbar is doing well. But that that is some good news. What was his injury? Cardinals. 
some kind of strain. So it's like the commercial is like, I I strained my knee and this teammate's like, well, here, try this. McCormick pepper on my knee? (laughs) Yeah, you'd be surprised. And then cut to him running around the outfield. It's like, yeah, pepper. It was a lower back contusion. So if I might say, maybe he was using the pepper grinders as though they were a foam roller and he was rolling out his his back injury yeah. on the pepper grinder with a pepper massage that's right a little wow. exfoliation on there these are free ideas actually they're not free ideas so if you are a trainer for the cardinals or any other mlb team yeah you need to pay me to use my ideas <laughs> damn straight damn that's right. straight but that's a little a little positivity uh, in the rest of it for um, in the in the rest of it for the with the Cardinals um, and a bit a bit a bit on the flip side of that uh, Corbin Carroll is widely in the lead Killing for it. Rookie of the Year. Um, uh, Sports Illustrated says that he has the chance to join Fred Lynn and Ichiro as the only players to win Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. Uh, the, and the Sports Illustrated article was was interesting. If you like statistics, we will link it for you. Uh, we're not going to read all the statistics out because it's it's quite long and quite specific statistics and but, epic. Yeah, yeah. He's they're they're claiming that he is uh, one of the best baseball players in the last century. Um, so yeah, on defense exciting. and offense. Exciting stuff. He's currently hitting three hundred five on the season. So this is great because then. Then it's not just like, oh, Shohei Otani is the unicorn of the MLB. You know, he has the fact that we have another Asian American who's in the mix and in a different position, but dominating is really great for the sport because it's not just like, oh, this one guy from Japan, mm-hmm. he's the exception. It's like, no, no, right. there's so can't... many other guys, especially Corbin Carroll to join that list is is extraordinary. Right, because a lot of times, you know, we want to credit it to the the discipline in Japan or the way that they're uh, taught to play baseball. And this is just this is this is you know an Asian American doing it. And yep. I also might say it's not the same thing, obviously, um, but it will feel a little bit for me if Corbin Carroll wins Rookie of the Year that it's a little bit of justice for Stephen Kwan, who I feel got robbed of Rookie of the Year last year. Obviously, it's not the same uh, as Stephen winning, but. It would it would be satisfying. Yeah, it would be, especially since Stephen Kwan is doing quite well this year, and the Rookie of the Year last year is not doing that well. This year, J. Rod, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> interesting how it all interesting how it all works out. But we're excited for Corbin Carroll. Do not forget, please, to vote for all of these guys for uh, the All Star Game. Um, voting is still open for another couple of days uh, for the first round. So we want to make sure that as many guys as possible get to the second round. Last thing really quick is that uh, Carrie Miller of the Bleacher Report thinks that Kim Asong should get a gold glove and be an all-star this year. So if you don't believe us, believe Carrie Miller of the Bleacher Report. Vote for these guys. They deserve it. Yes, voting ends for the first ballot on June 22nd. So you only have a couple more days and this is where people, our boys, need your support the most because if, if they don't make it through this round, they're not they're not going to make it through any other round unless the That's coaches. Right. And we got. I think we coaches. need to vote for. We need to get people out to vote for Shohei because 
the person with the most votes this year is Ronald Acuna, who is a very good baseball player. He's having probably his, the best career of his life, of his best year of his career. But come on, more more votes than Shohei Otani? That that's the that's the I West mean, Coast bias there happening. I think I think maybe it's that like you know people really want this for Ronald, and people just assume Shohei is going to get it yeah. because. You know, but don't assume. Don't, yeah, assume. don't assume. We don't know Please what's going to happen. Where is the nation of Japan to flood the gates with votes yeah, for can they vote internationally? If not, use a VPN and pretend yeah. you're somewhere in the United States. You did not hear that from us, but um, we can't control what you do. No. So yeah, I'll, oh, that was all hypothetical, by the way. What yeah, I just suggestion. Yes, but please vote. Don't forget to vote. You can vote five times a day. Our voting guide is on on our Instagram. We want to get these guys the All Star Game. Yes, it's going to be tight. Toy. Um, but yes, let's let's move on. Let's move on to the pitchers. We wanted to start by offering the bump to some of our guys. It was a rough week for some of them. Uh, we're not going to name names, but it is a rough week for for some of them. So we're just offering the bump to them because you know. It's it's a rough go. It's hard. It's not a minority. It's like half of them. So yeah. you know, it's not it's not because one guy's doing bad. It's just there's something in the air. It's not the triple sec. Somehow the triple sec has not whatever this pitcher triple sec equivalent of Scott's well, joke it's like has every, not affected. If, yeah, it's not a, right. <laughs> everyone's hitting. So right, that negatively yeah. affects the pitchers. Then if everybody's hitting, yeah. But some guys, some guys managed to get through. Dane Dunning. Love that guy. He got the win against Toronto on Saturday. Um, Robert Stevenson, uh, we reported last week, he got traded to the Rays, and he's been doing great with the Rays. Um, he has a 159 ERA over his last seven games, including a win. So, Robert, we're so happy for you. You're really holding it down for everybody. Kikuchi um, didn't do bad. No, he, he had the no decision. So not bad, but maybe we need to give the bump. Unfortunately, to uh, to the Blue Jays hitters to you know give him the run support. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, but uh, uh, another guy, I I don't think we've talked about this player yet on our podcast. Um, but he, uh, but Brian Wu is a rookie starting pitcher for the Mariners. Uh, he made his third start of the year this past week, and he had a very solid outing. It was also a no decision, similar to Kikuchi, um, but 5.2 innings pitched, uh, two earned runs, both were solo home runs, which, again, the Ryu school of, of pitching says that's not bad. Two, you're just giving up two bad pitches, uh, three hits, and nine strikeouts. Yeah, that's great. Very solid. Um, so he's he's zero and one on the year uh, wins and losses. But keep your eyes peeled if you're if you're a Mariners fan. Maybe he can get some good uh, good sage advice from Ichiro. He's doing there. great. It's just that the Mariners are unfortunately have like angels affliction right now, right? Which yeah. is that yeah. batters are very cold. So he, I mean it. It's always because right now. It is very rare to see a pitcher in the month of June that is getting close to 9, 10, 11 strikeouts. Most pitchers are actually striking uh, striking like five, 
four or five times. It's it's rough for pitching. I think pitchers are really tired um, as we approach. Except for that also- guy on the White Sox that had like sixteen strikeouts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That was that was nuts. Yeah, it. But you hear it's more of like people were freaking out a couple days ago when Blake Snell like got 10 strikeouts they're like oh or 12 or something like that they're like oh my god because I think it's just pitching's been suffering Mm -hmm. but Brian you know nine strikeouts that's that's pretty solid and I did watch his one of his earlier starts against the Angels and it was I think Brian Wu versus uh Shohei Otani and he held his own he held his own and the Mariners did end up winning but they did pull him out in the middle of the fifth inning he didn't get to finish the fifth um just because I think Shohei came up to bat and they're like, oh, no. Second no time kid. through. Not going to. That's not going to be it. <laughs> no, kid. Um, but he he's looking really good. He's looking really good. And he's young. So he has a strong arm. Not yet torn elbow ligament. Yeah. Hopefully like he hasn't. Hopefully he wasn't one of the guys that like, you know, some of them have to get Tommy John right away. So hopefully he's still strong. Mm-hmm. Stays healthy. But we're rooting for you, Brian. We're so excited for you. Thrilling, thrilling stuff. Um, and another one of our 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 pitchers that we we've talked about a few times, Brennan Bernardino. Um, there was a really really cool and inspiring profile on him um, on uh, MLB's website, uh, and we'll link that. Just about like how he got into the majors, and like you know he really bet on himself. He was really not. Uh, uh, getting the kind of support that he needed from Major League Baseball, and he was, you know, playing internationally. And I'll let you read the article, but it's really cool to read about how he believed in himself, and he went out there and he he got this job for himself. And so, you know, now he's a relief pitcher for the Red Sox, um, and he has he has a young son. And just something I wanted to read was that. Uh, uh, it said, uh, ask what his son Jalen was thinking when he made his big league debut. Uh, and his answer was a little different. He said, my dad's going to be in my video game and I'm going to get to see him on TV. So I thought that was cute too. Oh yeah, you are repping for repping for your kid. Like that's, that's sick. Yep. Yeah. We forgot to mention that Rob Refsnyder, uh, yesterday during the uh, Yankees versus Red Sox game, which was on ESPN for Sunday night baseball, also was mic'd up for the first time in his career. And he actually also talked about like what it means for him to be a father and what, you know, playing baseball on Father's Day. I was kind of like, are they going to talk about that? He's he's an adoptee, but they didn't really no, they didn't they bring didn't it up. But he did. Say, I thought what was really funny is that he said that he, when one of the announcers asked, like, hey, Rob, what did your kids give you for Father's Day? And he's like, well, they slept in. <laughs> they gave me yeah. the gift of sleeping in and i was yeah. like damn that's, that's beautiful i got a little and tear. i thought it was i thought it was sweet too because he was like they gave my wife the gift of yeah. sleeping yeah. in yeah. <laughs> oh yeah he was like he's thinking about his wife that's a good that's sweet that's really sweet he seems like a good guy rob if you want to come on the podcast or if you want to be my brother you know let us know yes. let us know but uh, that was a positive, and we're thinking of all the all the pitchers out there that were having a bit of a rough week. We are rooting for you, so hopefully, hopefully the bump helps for this upcoming week. And no worries, and then, you're not alone. You're yeah, not alone. and there's some guys that just simply never need the bump. Yeah, not having a rough week pitching. 
Yeah, it's uh, Shohei Otani, who uh, you guys do not see. I'm wearing my Shohei Otani Infinity Head shirt because this was a crazy week for him. Just, I... All right, let's just let's just go over some of the highlights. Uh right now he's on a 15 game hitting streak. So that that hasn't stopped. Yep. Uh he now has 24 home runs, which he is leading all of the MLB. He has 58 RBIs. He's also first in the league for that. And against the Rangers this past week on June 14th, he hit a home run in the ninth, opposite field. 453 feet, 116.1 miles per hour. It is the hardest hit home run in the StatCast era. To the opposite field, yeah. Yeah, to the opposite field. And on just, uh, he has hit, I think, so far, four opposite field home home runs in the past week alone. Or let, let me paraphrase since our last recording. The past six, five to six days alone. And on... um. And then pitching-wise, he finally got his first win since May 15th, uh, only because he hit that home run in the ninth. <laughs> Again, uh, giving himself giving himself his own run, run support. support. Uh, sorry, I don't know if it was the... Uh, if it was the home run in the ninth or the other one of the opposite field home runs, it's, it's hard to... I can't pinpoint which one it is. And then pitching, he... Uh, He pitched six innings. He got three strikeouts. He did have two earned runs. He is not necessarily doing as great as he possibly can, but... Well, he's just a human, Naomi. Yes, Yes, he is. He is just a human. Um, Right now, he has a couple new records, well, or uh, standings. He's in the... He's in first place right now in the AL for exit velocity as both a hitter and a pitcher, so that's cool. That's insane. Um, (laughs) He is the only pitcher to ever start and hit a homer the next day, twice now. Uh, He, oh, and also he hit his 150th home run this past week as well. And he is the leaderboard in the Angels in every category as a hitter and a pitcher. So Shohei Otani doing Shohei Otani things. Yes, the Scott had sent us this on Instagram uh, from MLB elites via Sporting News, but the Angels team leader list: Otani leads in runs, hits, home runs, walks, RBI, stolen bases, batting average, on base percentage, slugging, on base plus slugging, wins, ERA, and strikeouts. I mean, my that, God, that's it. That's all. Yeah. No oh, wonder no the man deal, is guys. tired. Yeah. So let's go back a month. Uh, three episodes. We skipped a week, so about a month ago, I was, I was kind of giving him a hard time, and I think someone from the Angels listens to our podcast because I was talking about how Shohei was in about two fifty nine, two sixty, still hitting some home runs and still putting up good numbers. But I was talking about how he was literally falling toward first base on every swing, like he was trying to pull the ball a mile. And what happens? The last, the last thir- uh, fifteen games, he's hitting four forty six with nine homers and twenty RBIs in fifteen God, games. Four forty six, and he's still hitting four thirty five in the last seven games. Like, and what's he doing? The- Mark DeRosa broke it down this morning on MLB Now. He's he analyzed the swing just like I did for Naomi when we were watching the game a few weeks ago. 
he was he used the, he used the analyzer and he was he was stopping it. It's like look, look how he's staying closed and then he's swinging and he's hitting the ball to center and to left center. Not and he's not just chipping it like you know he's crushing it at and he's like and Mark DeRosa said he's never seen anyone hit a ball this hard this consistently to the opposite field as Shohei Otani in the last month. And gosh, that's when we were talking about it was when it all began. <sighs> Okay. So we gave Shohei didn't need a bump, but he got an Asian and baseball bump. <laughs> he he didn't need the, bump. the energy. He didn't need it. He but could feel the energy. He got it. He felt the uh, the frustration of Scott watching him. Um, <laughs> I just knew he oh, could do brought- better. Well, it's so funny because you keep talking about um, how you. You kept talking about how you were just like, he needs to stop pulling it. And and how you mentioned if he just would just stop pulling his swings, he would be a 300 hitter. Well, I'm looking at his batting average right now. He is now officially part of the 300 club. He has actually been a part of the 300 club this past. Yeah, up and down. But yeah, like, right up around, and down yeah. like for the past week. So yeah, no, he still pulls the ball, you know, like with like anyone. But he's not just pulling like if the problem was any pitch middle away he was missing or 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 rolling over on because his his ass and his his weight was going toward first and it was you know you, when you when you're leaning that way you lose plate coverage but if you stay closed on those middle away pitches you can hit a line drive to the up but here's what's crazy that 453 foot home run was a middle in pitch it wasn't even outside it was a middle in fastball that he just inside outed uh, yeah, it's I'm getting too inside baseball-y, but um, it just let's just say you no one I've never seen anyone hit an inside pitch to the opposite field with that much power. That is usually that's just a quick slice into the into the gap at most, but to hit it 453, never never seen it my my whole life. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts because in 2021, the year where he really debuted as a true as a true two-way player, as if, you know, now we have to clarify that. That year he was so dominant in in his hitting and then last year his hitting kind of wasn't as dominant, but he was really great as a pitcher, but this year it's kind of crazy to look at the season where the first, you know, for April and a couple weeks in May, he was unreal as a pitcher, just unreal when he was flirting with that like 1.1 ERA. And then now he's leading the league as a hitter and all this. And and also he's still um, in top five for the AL and strikeouts as well. Damn. Is he ever going to get... And he and last week we talked about how he's getting tired, and he said he's actually tired. Like what? Like if this is his tired, then yeah. what the hell are we going to see in in September? Right. It's not uh, like uh, it's not like Masataka Yoshida that they were like, oh, it seems like he's getting tired. You know, not been seeing the ball well. We're going to give him a couple of days rest. Otani's like. They, I guess they should have talked to Otani's f- former team, and they would have been like, "Oh, when Otani gets tired, he gets hot." Yeah. The man's exhausted. Everybody, he's hitting over three hundred. He's so exhausted. It's like the drunken man, I, master or something. Like, 
Yeah, I I wish if I wish I was like good at shit when be, I'm tired. Be great when we're tired. I'm, yeah, no, not not me. Oh my me. god, I'm just a I'm just like a blob and a piece of shit when I'm tired. I can't I can't do anything. Uh, and yeah, the, and I, here's to to your point about he's not pitching that great. I I think he because he's not striking out you know twelve batters a game anymore. But here's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing him learning how to pitch to contact. Mm. So his last game, he only had three strikeouts. But that I thought he was now he was a little erratic with his control, but he only only walked one. But he was getting a lot of grounders and pop flies, and you know that's the Greg Maddox style of pitching. You know, like so if he learns how to pitch to contact, because he can strike people out if he wants to. You're gonna you're gonna give up some walks. You're gonna give up some home runs. But man, he's he's uh his pitch count was still pretty low and he pitched into the sixth inning so um maybe maybe he's just he's just learning <laughs> on on all he's levels innovating yeah he's, he's innovating on the and fly pitching. yeah and he's, he's yeah, right. you're, yeah that's true that's that's a great point because last year as i mentioned that last in the 2022 season he was much more dominant as a pitcher than as a hitter those games he was striking out eight to twelve players per game yeah. he'll still every do it time once he in a while took the mound but. yeah but I mean, to to your point, he wasn't as hot as a hitter for the first you know few starts at the beginning of this year's season because he was striking out ten plus per game. But now he's strike striking out less. Yeah, and hitting I mean, really well. Do you think that he also is like it's an energy thing, right? Like it seems like it takes a lot of energy to not not saying one's easier than the other, but like. So, so for people who don't know, like, uh, like there's different kinds of pitchers. Some pitchers are pitching to contact, which means they're trying to get, uh, the, the batter to make contact with the ball so that the ball goes in the, either yeah. a soft grounder or it's a pop up or something, something that's easy to get an out on a, yeah. easy to get an out on as opposed to being a strikeout pitcher, which is throwing three, three balls that either sail into the strike zone uh, and don't get uh, a strikeout looking is or a strike looking is when you're you don't swing at the ball yeah. uh, but it goes into the strike zone or a strike swinging where somebody st- swings at the ball but doesn't make contact with it um and i i just wonder if like it's an energy thing right like because you're you're th- maybe throwing more pitches when you're throwing not necessarily, but could be throwing more pitches when you're pitching for strikeouts. Yeah. Uh, yeah versus, for sure. mm-hmm. you know, you can get you can get somebody out on one pitch right. uh, if you're pitching to contact. Yeah. Well, this is this is interesting because this is actually what the MLB uh, commentators were talking about with Dane Dunning a couple weeks ago. That Love Dane that Dunning, his success has actually changed because he was trying to be less of a strikeout pitcher and mm-hmm. more of a contact pitcher and that's mm-hmm. you know they were talking about comparing dane dunning to greg maddox during yeah. during one of his starts so i think you know when when you have someone like i think dane dunning is a really great example of that and he has been much more successful this year um trying trying to get less strikeouts and and i think um yeah he's just been way more effective you have someone like who is a strikeout pitcher um, one that comes up to mind is you Darvish. You Darvish is very much a strikeout pitcher, but yet again, he's not also a two-way player. And he just, he's just always been that guy. Like he has that arsenal. And because right now the Padres, like 
you guys spend a lot of money on these guys and and these guys who like have a lot of bravado but where's the run support for you darvish our constant complaint with you darvish is no one provides him the run support for being the padres why are your bats so cold but you know i i and, and i wonder if like for you, Darvish, he feels like, oh, I have to be even more of a strikeout pitcher because Padre bats have been quite cold this season versus Shohei, who who at this point, he's like, the bats will always be cold for the Angels. Like, I will... I will never con like I will never overcome this. The only hot bat will be mine and and Trout <laughs> from time to time, and and not Trout when I'm pitching against him. Yeah, the Angels are hot right uh, now. We'll give it to them. They're, they're swinging the bats. Yeah, that that's true. But okay, maybe it's not necessarily bats, but also Shohei also has to worry about this. He has no relievers he can count on. Um, that's rough. Versus yeah. the. Versus the Padres, who have a little bit more of a fleshed-out pitching staff. Um, and relievers who don't necessarily just crumble. I mean, <laughs> look at the Padres and look at the Angels' um, relie- relievers right now. How many? The it Dodgers. seems like every game, every Not game, the, the Angels are bringing up a new crop and sending people down because of their relief. Oh, yeah, and the Dodgers, too. But, you know, there's no Asians on that team, so I don't care. I'm just kidding. I'm just mad at them. Foreshadowing our next segment after we talk about Otani. Yep. But, I mean, maybe maybe this is what Shohei realizes what he has to do to continue to be a two-way player because he's not going to have an arm socket anymore if he tries to strike out 10-plus people per game at his starts. He has, and then hopefully, maybe he, maybe he's employing this method, realizing I might get traded this year and I might be on a team that's a contender where I can I can make those contact pitches because I can trust my outfield and my relievers to back me up we'll see be- he is yeah. so he is throwing his fastball more like like twice as much as he was at the beginning of the season and you think well isn't that hard they- to throw a fastball it's actually easier to throw a fastball than that sweeper and the slider and the splitter it's easier on the elbow so if he's learning he can get people out with his fastball, he may not strike them all out, but that's still 98-mile-an-hour fastball on average. So he's getting – I think he's learning, like to your point, he's he's learning to conserve his energy. Get There was one inning – like th- that last start, that first inning, he had like 30 pitches and was like, oh, geez, this is going to be a short one. But then mm-hmm. he, he later on had an – I think he had an inning where he threw like five or six pitches. To, to get the three yeah. outs, it was like now that <laughs> that's how you do it. Um, and he said, "Yeah, he stayed it's always really innings. beautiful. It's always and maybe, really beautiful to see three outs, three pitches, three outs." Yeah, and maybe that's what it means by he's getting tired, right? Like he doesn't have the energy to try to throw, you know, yeah. throw for strikeouts all the time. So, right. that's well, it's not it's not fun contact. for him anymore because last year he did it this year it's all about hitting yeah. for the cycle while starting yeah while starting. Hey, listen, listen new you challenges gotta, you gotta shake it up for yourself you know yeah when you're leading your entire lead or your entire team you know you gotta mix it up for yourself a bit and he's he's doing it yep he's doing it but that's interesting that you put uh put up this uh stat 
Kim, that only 20% of MLB fans think Otani will be traded before the trade deadline this year. Yes, this was a SB Nation poll that only 20% of MLB fans will think he'll be traded before the 2023 deadline. Yeah, that's because the Angels but, are playing good. But Yeah, also, most uh, in, in this poll, uh, most people... Let's see. It was uh, 35% of people polled think that Otani will play for the Dodgers next season. 24% of them think he will stay on the Angels. So uh, for me, that that makes the whole poll not not reliable. Because <laughs> I don't think there's a chance he stays on the Angels. Okay, what do you think of this? We, Kim Eng got the Asians in baseball bump, and the Mariners are now... One of the hottest teams in baseball. Marlins. 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 Sorry. What did I say? Mariners? Marlins. Another M. And they're talking about being a playoff contender now. What about Otani to the Marlins just for the end of this year? That would be great. Oh, yeah. They're leading. They're second right now in the NL East. Yeah. And... They're the number one wild card contender right at the moment. Right, Could they're be number one in the wild card yeah. standings. <laughs> they probably won't win the East, but they have a shot at the wild card. No. So, um, but I don't know. They could get hot the second half too. So, some people think, think they're it, playing above themselves and they won't keep this up. But I don't yeah, know. I think that I think that that's going to be what makes the difference. Is how long can they sustain this, and how much does it like, like. It, 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 they could get the wild cards a wild card spot, but what are the odds that they would win the wild card? Because if the odds aren't amazing that they're going to win the wild card, then yeah. I don't think he's going to go well, there. With an Otani, you know, hitting and pitching. With an Otani can help a lot of teams, right? Yeah, because he's the whole the team yeah. in a five game yeah. series or, or in the in the whatever the one game playoff yeah. in the wild Winner card. Go home yeah. wild card. You want. You want Otani on the mound? Do you think? <laughs> but I think yeah. that, like, like if I were Otani, I wouldn't want to risk going somewhere that is a like winner go home wild card. Like, yeah, where for it sure. Seems like that, the team's going to be winner just, go home wild card. I was card. dreaming. You know? you're always dreaming. You're we're always we're dreaming. always dreaming about where Otani will go. It's the dream to have if you're a baseball fan. Okay, what about Otani to the Diamondbacks? It's a dream that hurts. I know. I hate it. Would it hurt. it, that would be very painful. <laughs> that would be very painful. I still can see, Scott, you said this many months ago, but you said Otani to the Mariners. And I still yeah. think that that's not a, that's not a impossible. Well, the Mariners I wouldn't, aren't playing great, so they have to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think the Mariners, the Mariners really need to pick it up because <laughs> they have to. They're forthright. Yeah. The, how does the Mariners? How how do they have a chance when the Angels are number two in the AL West? The Angels right are now, better than Dodgers. Four. The Angels Most are also better than, than the Dodgers. Astros. Last year's World Series champion. Yeah, they're not playing. And I mean, just yeah. the Astros just got swept by the Reds, which that's not Asians in baseball news, but uh, feels good. There is one Asian on the Reds. That is true. Stuart Fairchild holding it down. Um, just good to see the Astros lose. Yeah, it's uh, always worth mentioning. <laughs> always worth mentioning. Always relevant. We're going to continue to to uh, to drop seeds about our upcoming <laughs> episode about you, Darvish. Ooh. But um, yes, uh, a lot's going on with Otani. We'll we'll have to see how how this all. How this all shakes out. But uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to 
talk about something else. Hey, Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. Just a quick trigger warning in this next section, we do uh, make mention of sexual abuse. So please take care of yourself uh, uh, and take care when listening. All right, we are back. And I, I while we were took a brief break, I thought of a good segue. So we're going to briefly just get back into the Otani stuff just to segue into this next segment, um, talking about where Otani could possibly go um, at, at the at the 2023 trade deadline. And I do think that, uh, you know, we're talking about our dreams. Would, would he go to Miami? Would he go to the uh, the Mariners? Where Would he go for a quick rental somewhere? And I think in in the similar style of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, that it's going to matter what the team's track record is more than how they are doing, specifically in, in, the, in the games leading up to the playoffs. I think he's going to be more interested in the in the uh, how how they've been doing historically going into the postseason, and that's a segue because this week um, we we really wanted to offer solidarity. Um, uh, it, this isn't like an Asians of baseball specific thing, but uh, it, it can be about Asian people in baseball, Asian fans of baseball. So we wanted to offer solidarity and talk about a little bit about what was going on with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, so has if, if people haven't followed it, um, about about a month ago, the Dodgers announced Pride Night and who was going to be awarded. And one of the awardees was a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, who are a charity group who who dress as nuns. And now here's here's where it gets tough. They dress as nuns, but they really see themselves as nuns. So that's going to factor into this analysis. But um, some conservative groups and. Clayton Kershaw com- complained and then they rescinded the invitation which caused a whole shit storm um, I think the angels <laughs> agreed to, to give this group an award as if to like one up the Dodgers um, so there was so much <laughs> that's so sad <laughs> the angels are like we'll give them an award like no one comes to our ballpark yeah um, like we, we don't need an award yeah. from you guys <laughs> thank yeah, you so yeah much. thanks um so after after so much protest and complaints and and I think the Dodgers probably educated themselves a little bit they they invited him back and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence accepted the invitation graciously to come back. Cue the conservative firestorm backlash and so there were just protests. A quick, just a, yeah. just a quick interjection. I want to say that the the reason if you're unfamiliar with the sisters, the reason that the the there is a protest protest against them and why Clayton Kershaw uh, spoke out and was like, I'm not comfortable with this is because uh, they see what the what what the sisters are doing as like um, being disrespectful to Catholicism because they're dressed up like nuns and uh, because of their depictions of religion, right. etc. So they they claim that it's not because they're anti LGBT, but they claim it's because they're offended because uh, they are being uh, uh, in their eyes made made fun of by this right, group. right. And and I get I get why uh, on about appearance, you know, a 
a drag version of a nun is shocking visually to to just about anybody um who who lives in the west western world um so i i get why there there was there was unrest and there there was suspicion um but man so many things to say uh the catholic church not not the group to be complaining about um things that <laughs> things that are harmful to society and things so yeah i i mean so on saturday's game on fox uh saturday night baseball on Fox uh, when the Padres were playing uh, against the Rays. There was a commercial that came out that was paid for by the Catholic Vote Civic Action Group. And it was a commercial that started out, which I recorded, but I'm not going to, I'm choosing not to repost this commercial because it is incredibly offensive. Um, But the commercial starts off with them talking about Jackie Robinson and how Jackie Robinson, you know, famously played for the for the Dodgers broke the color barrier they somehow were tying well as as the significance of Jackie Robinson playing in the MLB for the Dodgers the color barrier racisms the civil rights movement of the 1960s and they talked about how the Dodgers now because they were awarding sisters of perpetual indulgence this group were rescinding back on on their years of of progressiveness as an organization and they were saying how could the dodgers do something like this when they're the ones who brought jackie robinson and they described the sisters as perverse (laughs) and my i assume that many of our listeners know that back in 2004 a very famous case was brought uh, a very famous expose was brought to light about the decades of abuse of catholic priests molesting and and sexually yep molesting sexually assaulting children and the cover up that not only just happened on a local level that proceeded to the cardinals archdiocese and even to the vatican in in 2020, there was a study that came, independent study came out that said that Catholic, the Catholic Church has abused thousands of children and people since 1950 throughout the world, and that the Vatican knew about it and they covered it up. Now, I bring this up because I think it's very hypocritical that this group, Catholic Vote Civic Action, aired this commercial on national television. Um, this wasn't Fox News, you guys. This is Fox, the broadcast channel that is... Sports. Um, it's Fox, not even Fox Sports. It's just on Fox itself, which is one of the f- free public broadcasters in the United States that you don't have to pay cable for. They aired this commercial and they said these things. And, and it's just... it It is so problematic on so many levels that this commercial was aired that people are offended by it i'm heavily disappointed in clayton kershaw to the point where i don't like him anymore i don't like him anymore i like have no desire to watch him pitch and because i i remember his comments on it and then now the dodgers are doing christian night at um 
to placate Clayton Kershaw and these fans. I just I just lost a lot of respect for for Kershaw, and and I think you know, is it can can you be offended by how the sisters portray themselves? Sure, but the thing is, is that what they do, they're a five hundred one c three nonprofit. They do a lot of work for the community. They have inspired chapters all over the world for the work that they do. And that they've been taking care of the community and taking care, especially with people who have AIDS, HIV, which the church neglected in the first place when this came out in the 80s. Baseball, people might say baseball is not political. It shouldn't be political. Baseball has always been political. It will always be political because to participate in our nation's pastime, to be paid and have the opportunity to be paid millions of dollars, to have a platform of this, to have the respect and veneration of people. It is. Baseball is a system that wields a lot of power. It is. It wields political, social power economic power and the treatment of the of the sisters during at Dodger Stadium the fact that there were protesters blocking gates which my friends told me about because they went to the game on Friday night the fact that they honored the sisters during a time when they know people are getting to the game they made they they made the the ceremony earlier than normal because they yeah. claimed it was for quote safety reasons i don't believe that I think they wanted to show an empty stadium in that the community wasn't out in support when there are people who are a part of the queer community, who are part of the LGBTQIA community who are there, especially for this game. Um, it, you know, we, we show solidarity towards the sister because there have been times and instances, even the past few years, that people say, powerful people, commentators on the sport, journalists, leaders of this industry who say that Asians should not have a place in baseball. Asians Asians shouldn't play baseball. Why do we why 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 does representation matter? Well, the thing is is that baseball is a democratic sport. Baseball is the sport of our nation and we need to be accepting of of all communities, and that's what really matters. Yeah, it's just, I agree. It's just so disappointing. And and I, I, there's a lot to your earlier point. There's a lot of comments on the Dodgers posts about like e- even the posts about Christian night as well, like posts about LGBTQIA night and, and posts about Christian night being like, keep the politics out of baseball. Let's just make this about baseball. And that's such like a impossible thing to do, because yeah. what that's saying is don't bring who you don't bring yourself. Don't right. don't be yourself at a baseball stadium unless you are like a, a cis hat white male. Those are the only people that are accepted. And that's just not fair to everybody else. Like everybody deserves to bring their full self to watch a Dodger game. You know, there's nothing to say that anybody can't be a baseball fan. And to continue to have that kind of 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 thought process of like, oh, just shut up and watch baseball is like asking people to to not not be themselves, which is just not okay yeah and they're the ones that brought up jackie robinson <clears throat> yeah how, how, right how less how i mean that's political well, Scott, that's, <laughs> racism happened only a long time ago it yeah. doesn't exist anymore well, right. remember so that's right and that's what that's they, they would argue but yeah man if if the sisters were making fun of the catholic church not 
not individual Catholics, but the Catholic Church, I'd be fine with it. But they're not. They really see themselves as doing, you know, some kind of divine work. Um, we'll put a link to there's a podcast called Straight White American Jesus, and Brad Onishi, who's JA, um, is one of the hosts, and he interviewed. Melissa Wilcox, Professor Melissa Wilcox, Chair of Religious Studies at UC Riverside, who studies all these things. And she clarified that it it's campy, it's visually shocking, but these people really see themselves as on a divine mission to help the world. As to Naomi's point, they have 83 houses in four different continents to offer health, outreach, support, and at times protest on behalf of queer communities. Um, so they're, they see themselves as actual nuns, if you ask them. So is it shocking to the, 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 the quote unquote normal world? Yeah. But they're, they're doing that on purpose. Just like RuPaul's drag race is shocking to some people because it's not the norm, but they're using this to, to actually help people. Um, and they're not doing it to make fun of Catholics. We're we're making fun of the Catholic Church today. We're saying they they are guilty and they have admitted this of molesting thousands, tens of thousands. I don't even think we're children. making fun of no, them. I we're just stating we're, we're stating we're, we're, facts. we're being critical because yeah. no, we're just saying what's true. <laughs> yeah, but in doing so, we're, we're critical because not only do they cover it up, but they would find out a priest was molesting you know hundreds of kids and just transfer him to another place where he could just start yeah. over. Like they they. They perpetuated this abuse. They didn't just cover it up. Um, and for them to say that th- this group is perverse is laughable because I don't see you've never seen accusations of drag queens molesting children uh, or much less covering it up and perpetuating it. And so, um, so yeah, if, if you're interested in hearing a, a, a academic researched view of the sisters of, of perpetual indulgences, um, definitely check out the Straight White American Jesus episode, which we'll put in the show notes. Yeah. And, you know, the reason why we're bringing this up like this, the Catholic Church deserves criticism. It has received a lot of criticism. And because, you know, the Spotlight article did come out in 2004 with the Boston Globe, you know, watch the movie. Just watch the movie. You learn a lot. It's like, it's depressing, but it condenses everything for you in two hours. Um, it seems like people forget that this is not an old issue. This is a very modern issue. This is an issue that affects communities today. There are cases, there are active cases all throughout the United States of misconduct, covering up um, of of what the church has done with priests who have harmed children, harmed children. I don't, there has not been a case of the sisters who have harmed children, drag queens who have harmed children, trans um, individuals who have harmed children, that, that it just, where there's no evidence of it. And, you know, the Catholic Church has been quite active in some of world's history's worst atrocities, which includes slavery, which includes the enslavement of black people of Africans who were brought over to the Americas. Um, this is history. This is just fact. So, you know, I think what's important is is that baseball should be should 
should be a sport, is the sport of our people, is the sport of our nation, and we need to be accepting of that. And, you know, it is disappointing to hear what the Dodgers, how the Dodgers treated this. It's very disappointing to see that protesters at the ballpark demonizing a group that that really they should be reflecting upon themselves and reflecting upon the the system and the institution that they are a part of and that that energy should be focused on the church itself because i'm sure the Dod- the dodgers while they may be an imperfect institution deserve less criticism than the catholic church oof yeah there uh, the reason also that we wanted to bring this up is is because, uh, you know, as Asian people, as Asian fans, as, as people who pay close attention to the Asian players in baseball, you know, it's important to feel like you are going to be accepted when you go somewhere. And I've been to a lot of baseball stadiums and not all of them have, you know, the sort of. Uh, ethnic diversity that Dodger Stadium does and I have been in places where I'm like oh my gosh there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of white people here and and it is a different experience um and having these nights I, I kept seeing people being like leave the politics out they were like we don't want we don't want LGBT night we don't want Christian night we don't want any of this like just just play baseball and like something that I thought was very interesting that I saw uh from the White Sox is they posted uh, uh, whatever it's called, like a tandem post with somebody else. And it was one of their players who seems like a minor league player that occasionally plays in the majors as well. Somebody goes back and forth between AAA and the majors um, named Anderson Comas. And he came out in a post that was posted in conjunction with the White Sox page. Uh, And he said, I wanted to open the door for those people who are fighting for their dreams. I feel that they cannot do it because of people's opinions. So I wanted to share a little bit to help to open that door and inspire all of them to keep fighting. And he had to sadly start this by saying his post by saying, disclaimer, if you're homophobic, this post is maybe not for you or maybe yes. So you can see uh, we all matter and we're all the same. And I think it's really incredible that because uh, this is the first instance that I've heard of of a play of a, o- an openly gay player in uh, in like professional baseball. Yeah. Um, and I-, I think it's amazing that by doing this, by by, tra- you know, baseball teams are corporations, right? Like they're, they're corporations. We have to remember that. But like by doing these nights, by doing LGBTQIA night and by doing like Asia, like Japanese heritage night, Korean heritage night, by doing these nights, it's it's acknowledging people who haven't been acknowledged in this sport previously and i just thought it was so amazing that this that anderson felt inspired to come out publicly so as to let you know queer people know like if you're a queer kid and you want to play professional baseball you can do it and to you know just let people know that he's here and he's out here and i just thought that was amazing and you know not to say that he wouldn't have done that if not for you know, White Sox having a a LGBT night or or anything like that. But just that's really powerful, I think. And that's why it's important to not to not uh, not try to ignore people's politicized identities, because those of us with a politicized identity live with that all the time. And that includes when we're at a baseball game. Yeah, safety is an issue. It really comes down to that. It's not just acceptance. It's also safety. 
yeah, being seen for who you are, um, as opposed to what the assumptions are about you. And as Asians in baseball, or as as drag queens doing charity work, you know, we just want people to see clearly what what it is they're looking at without the biases of the media or conservative or liberal groups for that matter um we have to see the truth and that's why we do this podcast yeah and i know that a lot of people won't necessarily agree with earth with our thoughts especially since i express now that i've lost a lot of respect for clayton kershaw i know people are going to be quite divided on that and guess what this is a sport where you have a lot of different opinions and a lot of your experience are brought in um i just want to contextualize the why I feel very angry about that is because many, many people in my life have been hurt by the church, the Catholic church. And that's why I feel so strongly because of it. And it has affected a lot of people. And it has also affected me. And a word of advice to all of our GMs who we know love and listen to our podcast Baseball is a sport that has lost a lot of popularity in the past few years, well, the past decade. And this is how you reach new audiences. This is how you reach new fans. And the fans that you have are also affected by it. We may not necessarily identify as people of, of certain marginalized groups, but because we, because we are still marginalized, we still, it's still something that we are affected by, um, you know, this is not necess- This is one of our more serious uh, segments on this podcast. So I do, I do kind of want to leave with something a little bit more lighthearted. So you're not just like, uh, I feel the weight of the world and this sucks. Everything sucks. Um, do you guys have any? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you had something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think we can leave on this. We just wanted to show our solidarity with the sisters. We wanted to show our solidarity with the LGBTQIA community because we truly believe that baseball is for everybody. Baseball should be for everybody. Baseball didn't used to be for everybody. And look how much better it is now that they have got their head a little bit out of their ass. So as mm. we continue to get our head out of our ass more and more and more, baseball will get better, more incredible. We'll have like cool players will have amazing fans it's going to be it's you know i think it can only be positive to continue to be inclusive of people and also again baseball losing fans if somebody wants to be a fan of baseball you know they should they should be allowed to be a fan of baseball and they should allow to be allowed to be a player and they should be allowed to be recognized for their amazing hard work so we just wanted to offer that um offer that up Right on. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in for another to another episode of Asians in Baseball. Take a deep breath. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time with another episode of Asians in Baseball. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to Asians in Baseball. Connect with us on Instagram at Asians in Baseball, on Twitter at AZNs in Baseball, email us at Asiansinbaseball at gmail.com, or drop us an audio message on Anchor. Thanks. <laughs>